UK marathons are great and, and I love the experience of London, but I, it was more about reach really. How can I kind of help promote the problem that's, that's facing people with ME, you know, the lack of government funded biomedical research, the lack of interest, the neglect, all of that. Would I be able to do that by doing it in various cities around the UK? Possibly, but you know, I thought it would be great to get to other countries, interview people with ME, meet the ME associations, find out what's happening in each country, see if I could introduce them to the charity and get them involved in these conferences and see if we can kind of just get there a bit quicker if everyone knows what's going on in each country. So that, I suppose, was the main driver, really. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Running Tales podcast. I'm Craig Lewis and that was the voice of Mike Harley. Back in 2015, Mike decided he wanted to raise money and awareness for Invest in ME, an independent charity which funds research into what is a severe and often debilitating illness. Instead of simply running a local marathon, Mike decided to combine his love of travelling with a growing desire to run and set out to complete a marathon in every member country of the European Union. Along the way, Boris Johnson made Mike's job slightly easier, one marathon easier, but Mike still had to finish 27 races across Europe, raising close to £50,000 along the way. He also spoke to people with ME in the cities he visited, chronicling their experience on his website, Mike's EU Marathons. I started off our conversation by asking Mike to explain the challenge he took on and why he did it. It started um, in 2015 and ran to 2022, and I managed to run a marathon race in every EU country, which was 27 in the end. It was 28 with, with the UK, but I was mid-challenge, so, yeah. <laughs> it's like a spanner in the works. <laughs> had yeah. you done one in the UK? No, I hadn't at that point. I had a plan to finish the challenge in London, um, but obviously didn't need to in the end. So, yeah, I did I did the challenge for charity. Um but also really just to rediscover my love for, for running and, and running marathons, which um, I did London Marathon when I was 18 in 2001. Really didn't do a lot of running until I was about 32. I just wanted to see if I could run another one again. But um, I love traveling as well. Just love going around Europe and seeing all different cities and stuff. So, you know, it was great to kind of put those two things together. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the the kind of why you did it beyond just enjoying the running um, because sure. it was for a really good cause, wasn't it? Um, you, you you ran for um, Invest in ME. Tell us a little bit about why you did that and also perhaps, you know, what a ME is and how it affects people because not everyone will know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so ME, um, latest figures are it affects around 250,000 people in the UK, 10% of which are children. So ME has a number of symptoms, but I mean, I suppose the most common one which everyone is aware of is is extreme fatigue um chronic fatigue the best way i can describe it is waking up in the morning with 10 percent battery and having to make that work for the whole day so you know it's it's extreme kind of fatigue um, muscle joint pains headaches sensitivity to light and sound you know in extreme it can affect everyone from you know mildly sort of not being you know, able to work or or housebound as my my best friend has, or right through to people who literally cannot get out of bed, you know, shut behind curtains for years, you know, with no treatment and just no normal, you know, to, to you or I, normal life really. So yeah, my, my friend Ian, a childhood friend of mine, contracted ME after picking up a virus skiing. Yeah, I mean, he was ill for quite some time and told me about the various uh, charities 
that kind of aimed to help people with ME, and one of which was this charity called Invest in ME Research, which um, is one of maybe four or five charities in the UK. How they're different is they're voluntary run, so there's no none of the money goes to sort of salaries or big marketing budgets or anything. Every single penny goes to clinical biomedical research, which was what I was most keen to do, really, if I was going to get involved and fundraise for them, that, that was the charity I was going to pick. So they're a charity that are based in in Norwich. Um, I think there's only three or four people that volunteer, very, very small, but what they do each year is, is incredible. They fund PhDs um, for people that want to study ME. Um, which is really good. They bring together the world's best researchers and scientists every year in London to kind of work on the problem together and share resources, which is brilliant. And this year they're, they're doing the UK's only clinical trial to try and find a cure for ME over at the Quadrum Institute, which my fundraising will be going towards, which um, is quite exciting. So, What made you think, rather than doing the London Marathon again, or a single marathon to to raise money for Invest in ME, um, like hundreds and thousands of people doing for charities every year. What made you sort of think, I'm going to go that, well, not just that one step forward, but further forward, but those 27 steps further forward. And, and... Yeah, it was, a, it was a funny conversation. I was sort of sat with my wife looking at looking at the map, really. And, and like UK marathons are great, and, and I loved the experience of London. But I, it was more about reach, really. How can I kind of help promote you know, the, the problem that's that's facing people with ME, you know, the lack of government funded biomedical research, the lack of interest, the neglect, all of that. Would I be able to do that by doing it in various cities around the UK? Possibly. But, you know, I thought it would be great to get to other countries, interview people with ME, meet the ME associations, find out what's happening in each country, see if I could introduce them to the charity and get them involved in these conferences and see if we can kind of just get there a bit quicker if everyone knows what's going on in each country so that I suppose was the main driver really and I was aware of how many people around Europe have ME and you know it's it's a massive massive issue I looked at the map and I thought well how about every country in Europe all 44 I think it was so I checked it out looked in, into a few of them some of them don't have marathons or organized marathons they have half marathons because they're quite small so you know quite a few of the eastern European countries run a very popular half marathon but there's no marathon so I thought well I'll have a look at the EU and as it happened every country in the EU had an organized race I was like well and I don't want to do things by halves I just sort of maybe I'll see how many I can do maybe I'll do one or two a year that was the original plan and then I met a, another runner through Invest in ME who was doing the North Pole marathon uh, for them which was really cool and he said look one or two a year that's going to take you a really really long time you sure people are going to follow you and be interested in that and I was like yeah you've got a point so I started ramping it up and I was doing sort of five or six a year and then COVID happened and obviously that was a a big problem as well so yeah I want to get onto the the logistics of it and traveling around all these different places in a little bit but just to go back to that previous question again because you you went into this as not I think you say on your own blog, you weren't a natural runner. You weren't someone who's done tons of running. We're not talking to somebody who's got 200 marathons behind them together and no. then decided to do this. This was all sort of quite quite new to you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't really run to the end of my road, you know, or anything. I, I didn't do running for fun. You know, even now, sometimes running isn't, for, you know, it's not my idea of fun. If it's on the plan and I put it on the fridge, it has to happen. That's the rule I have with myself. But 
Yeah, I did it when I did it when I was 18. I, I grew up in Cornwall. I was running to the beaches. I was kind of running down country lanes. Had no idea what I was doing. Didn't really follow a plan. So I kind of, I suppose I wanted to kind of learn about running and and learn about running marathons. And I bought a load of books, listened to a lot of podcasts, chatted to a lot of people. And over time, I've kind of, I've, I've learned the do's and don'ts and what works for me and what doesn't, which, which is great. But yeah, I'm not naturally athletic. I, I like a pint and I <laughs> like, I like steak and pies and stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm not one of those people who's out running every single day of the week. But yeah, I do. I do mostly enjoy it when I go out. Yeah. So, what what are those what are those do's and don'ts for you, especially when you're getting in as many marathons a year as you as you have been? Yeah, I think just learning that recovery is just as important as the running itself. You know, not to waste that. So, you know, making sure that I'm looking after myself with stretching. I'm making sure I'm getting plenty of massages, whether that's sort of sports massages, back, drinking well. You know, everything in moderation, really. So. I think I've learned a lot there, but also, you know, pacing itself, you know, I used to go out and completely as everyone does when they start running into a couple of miles, you're completely whacked. And then, you know, you, you just, you're not getting it right. So, you know, there's been plenty of races where I've gone off too quick and then hit the wall. So you learn from each one There's there's always so many variables, isn't there, into having a good race and having a good run. So yeah, I've learned a lot. And, and in terms of the logistical battles of of a challenge like this how hard was that because you you've raced everywhere from big cities like rome and barcelona to to places like riga in latvia and gdansk in poland and it's quite yeah. a variety of stuff isn't it yeah no it's it has been quite tricky you know kind of uh i think getting to tallinn you, you have to get to finland and then get on a propeller plane to tallinn you know from there and obviously nearly every race i've had to get to to London, whether it's Heathrow, Gatwick, Luton, Stansted, I've been to them all. Because um, living out in Bristol, there's not there's not that many convenient sort of flight routes at the right times and stuff like that. And yeah, it's it's been quite quite challenging. But yeah, it it has been possible, you know, over that time. I think logistically, like scheduling them has been quite hard because if anyone runs lots of European marathons, you realise that they're all usually congregated around April and October. And in some cases, you've got maybe nine races happening on the same day. So you've got to kind of look at that and make sure that you don't end up with none one year and then six the next. And so I think, you know, I've had to sort of go a little bit off piste. I wanted to do all the capital cities at one point, but that just clashed way too much. So I ended up kind of moving to Barcelona instead of Madrid. Um, I did Thessaloniki instead of Athens, just from a scheduling point of view, really. I think Toulouse instead of Paris, which I think may well have been yeah. a win because I've, I, I've, I've heard one or two people say that Paris isn't their favourite marathon. It was balloted for a long year, a long time. So I think I, I kind of had that in mind. I didn't want to leave it to chance. And I'd heard some good things about Toulouse. And actually, that was probably the one of the 27 I could get to from Bristol. So, so yeah, I did choose Toulouse. And I would recommend that one to anyone. It's a really beautiful race. Yeah, well, that was going to be my next question, actually, in in, in terms of what have been your favourite of those twenty seven to race, but but also you said earlier that you're um, into your travelling. Um, so, what have sort of been your favourite cities that you've got around in that time as well? Because the two might not necessarily be. Yeah, the same. exactly. It's very hard to kind of distance your time or your performance in the race from the city that you've visited. You know, because I mean, for example, I had an absolute nightmare in Riga. I had my worst race you know, shouldn't really have run. I was quite injured. Um, and for it to not affect your, 
experience of the city or your weekend is quite you have to sort of detach your time from from the trip which um is tricky but i mean quite a lot of the cities particularly eastern europe were were really surprising you know vilnius i think was was probably one of my favorites just really nice really nice city you know i think a lot of countries that have joined the eu quite recently have have obviously had a huge amount of investment and you know they've kind of really benefited from being part of it and i think um you know sort of estonia latvia and lithuania have just always been great races really well supported like beautiful architecture the course itself um you know has been great um good weather all that kind of thing so but yeah i think vilnius stands out i think i'd I'd definitely recommend that to anyone there's loads to do it's a nice tight little city very quirky they've got a really keen sense of humor over there and the the race is is great as well the course is brilliant so i'd definitely say that one uh luxembourg is really interesting i don't know if you've heard about that one no go on no so it's it's a night race um so it starts at sort of seven in the evening it's on the national holiday as well for luxembourg so there's there's quite a nice sort of carnival atmosphere around the city and at one point it drops into the old city which is very medieval kind of uh i suppose a bit like bruges and you can run through this sort of night village which is just lit up by lanterns and then you get used to all of that and it's all great. And then there's this absolutely killer hill trying to get out of, <laughs> of this, this sort of part of the city. And then it finishes in this massive sports hall and there's, you know, there's just huge celebrations going on. So that was, yeah, that was really good. That was quite memorable. Oh, that um, sounds fantastic. That's definitely one that people need to go and check out by the sounds of it. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. unusual, but yeah, really good experience. And just in terms of the, of the marathons themselves, do you approach them in terms of, I'm just going to see how I feel on the day and get round. Or is there a bit of you that's saying, oh, this looks a nice flat course. I'm going to go for a PB today. Or does it does it vary? Yeah, I always have that intention unless I'm going into it injured, in which case it's, you sort of switch to survival mode. But yeah, I always sort of train as though I, I, I want to do a PB. But yeah, as I say, I've had a more than half of the races I've done have been over 25 degrees, you know, at the start. So I think the hottest one I did was in Vienna. I think it was 34 degrees at one point. It was on the same day as that really hot one in London, which was, I think the average was 23 degrees and it was yeah. 10 or 11 degrees hotter than that in Vienna, which you know, I was seeing people fainting left and right and getting help from ambulances and stuff. That was really dangerous, that one. But yeah, a, a lot of them have, we kind of laugh about it, me and my partner, but we'd sort of land, we'd look at the weather and it would just be some sort of freak heat wave. Um, and you just, you're on the start line thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be tough, you know, with quite a few of them. Um, I know you mentioned that you've, you've done, um, done the Pathos Marathon because that was one that Michelle has, has done. And, and I yeah, think always that was a hot really one. Hot. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really hot one. I mean, it starts early, but yeah, it just seems to sort of creep up five or six degrees an hour, which, um, you know, it's quite something I, I remember kind of the last two miles there where you're running along the strip or the promenade back to the castle and you've got everyone sort of having beers and you know having a great time and you're just in a world of pain yeah to end so, <laughs> but yeah no i do uh, the island ones have been great cyprus malta was really good as well kind of start it starts in um a village right in the center which has been used for game of thrones sort of filming so you know everyone's running around taking pictures of all their the old ruins and churches and stuff which um which is great so yeah there's been a real real good mix actually people's pace is not something we're really that bothered about 
on, on running tails per se, but I know that people will be crying out of me at the moment to ask you how you're getting around in because there is a difference taking on all these marathons in say, I don't know, three hours 30 to 5.30 and they both sort of bring different challenges. So is, is that kind yeah. of an average time and a best time that you you look at? Yeah, I'm kind of, I, I hover around sort of 3.45 to 4.15. So, you know, okay, not not kind of as fast as anyone you've had on this this show before but but yeah I always try and get under four hours if I can there was a period where I did three marathons in five weekends just because of the scheduling and everything in 2019 I was literally uh, I think I did Budapest Bucharest and then Porto which all kind of happened quite quickly and and weirdly I thought well okay I'll train for the last one and the first two races I'll just sort of get round so that I'm in good condition for the last one and that kind of worked quite well because I steadily got quicker over those three races where a lot of people might think, well, you might do the first one really well and then struggle with the next two. But for, for some reason, it kind of worked the other way around for me. Perfect training runs. Yeah, it was kind of like that. Yeah. Needless to say, Budapest and Bucharest were both over 25 degrees in you know late September, early October. And then Porto was kind of a little bit wet. So that suited me really well. I think I've learned that I run best in cold and wet weather, but if you live in northern europe and most of your races are in southern europe or central europe you've got to get used to the fact it's going to be 10 15 degrees warmer wherever you go even when i went to finland in august that was sort of 24 25 degrees which is technically a bit north of england but yeah it's kind of wherever i go it seems to be quite warm yeah well i guess if the scots get their way maybe you could and get back into the eu you might be able to go and do one up there mind that yeah Yeah. i wouldn't mind that or iceland that'd be good (laughs) for sure the other thing that i noticed that you do when you go out and do these marathons is you will seek out people with me in the areas that you visit and chat to them about uh, how they live with the condition and what it's like for them what what how did that come about yeah, I, I was keen to do that because it's it's one thing raising the money, but I think there's an opportunity there to to help kind of promote their stories really and kind of bring that to the to public public attention. So what I would tend to do is kind of reach out and see if anyone was well enough to sort of tell me their story. And then we take that plus me and doing my challenge, go to the marathon website in that country or the local papers and, and see if we could kind of get some attention and just kind of get them in the public eye because it's it's a lot worse in, in most parts of Europe for ME kind of healthcare. You know, a lot of people just don't believe it's a condition. They think it's sort of um, psychosomatic or psychological. You know, a lot of people are denied benefits and spied on on Facebook to see if they're well enough and all this kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, it, it really does vary from country con- country to country. But the one thing I did find was um, just a complete lack of, awareness really from from doctors from government about what me was so it was a good opportunity to do that and if if anyone was well enough to come and cheer me on on the race then that happened as well which was great but it just kind of brought the trip alive to me it wasn't just me going on holiday running a marathon to actually have people with me there to meet or come and cheer me on kind of defined the whole thing really and and i guess having met those people when you reach mile 20 and everything gets horrible they're, they're there in your head cheering you on and helping you to get to yeah that. that's it I mean I, I had a habit of just writing them on my hand actually um anyone in that country that I'd met or knew of with me and kind of when I got to that sort of 20 to 23 bit you know where you, you're not sure you're going to do it 
you just sort of look at your hand and it just gives you a little bit of a buzz. I think there's an added pressure as well when you when you raise money for charity that you've got to do it. You know, it's just not an option. And for me to go all that way as well and to not finish it would just, I, I don't know how I would cope. I mean, luckily I didn't have to deal with that feeling. But yeah, there is, there's, you've got that kind of extra person, I suppose, on your team, but also the the added positive pressure of of having to go through with it. And you mentioned charity, of course, that's why this is all happening or one of the reasons. And you have raised a considerable amount of money along the way, I think in uh, in excess of £47,000 now. How, yeah. how pleasing is, is that? Yeah, it was great. I mean, the original target was £26,200 just to echo the mileage. And then I thought when we hit that relatively early, I was like, OK, well, 42.195, which is the kilometres most of the marathons are done in kilometers in Europe anyway. So I was like, well, that, that will work quite well. And and we hit that the night that I finished the last race, which, which was really good. I was having dinner in Rome and um, kind of got the message that we'd, we'd made that, which was brilliant. And then I had um, a couple of months off. I was I've always for the last five or six races before the end, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do next? I don't need this kind of massive anticlimax crash. You know, a lot of people do these big challenges and then they have, you know, elements of depression because it's been such a big part of their life and they're not quite sure what to do next. But I I recognised that I could feel like that. So I booked a couple of races as kind of methadone to get over that that horrible, empty feeling. So I quickly upped the target to 50K and thought, well, I'm just going to go down the bucket list now of like everywhere else in Europe that maybe isn't part of the EU that I'd really like to visit and see if I can find more people with ME and you know, sort of elevate their their stories as well. Yeah, because you, I think you've done, is it two more marathons since completing the 27? And you've got yeah. two more in the pipeline. That's right. Yeah, I've only booked two so far this year, but I'm hoping to squeeze in another couple if I can negotiate a pass at home. Um, so I've got two young daughters at the moment, so it's a little bit trickier getting out and about. But yeah, I did, um, I did Liechtenstein Alpine Marathon, which um, was really interesting. I think... Um, at the time, it was it was going to be the last ever running of Liechtenstein Marathon, and I, I just knowing that, I thought, well, I'm never going to get an opportunity to to do this country. And as it turns out, they've now got funding to keep on running it. But at the time, I was kind of a bit suckered in by that, and and the fact it was an alpine race, and I kind of never been to Switzerland or the Alps or anything, and just thought that would be incredibly beautiful and a and a very different sort of challenge because of the elevation and. Obviously, most city marathons are flat because that's what appeals to the people that want to sign up for them. They want PBs and stuff. So this was completely the other end of the spectrum, which I'd never tried before. So I really enjoyed that one. It was an incredible experience. It took a long time, but um, but yeah, that, that was good fun. And then I, I went and did Florence, which um, you know I'd always wanted to go to Florence. And yeah, I've got a lot of uh, followers with ME in Italy. So it was a good opportunity to kind of go back and and do a bit more fundraising for them. And what one's next? You've got one coming up in the next few months. Yeah, I'm off to Norway. I'm going to run Bergen, which I've heard great things about, actually. So, yeah, and by chance, there's there's actually there's a university hospital, which is twinned with the one in Norwich that Investor and ME are kind of connected with. And a lot of ME scientists and researchers actually work in Bergen. Um, and I'm going to go and meet some of them on the weekend that I'm over. And, and there's the ME Association as well. I'm going to meet some people from the charity as well and hopefully if anyone's well enough to come and cheer me on as well so so yeah it's kind of it's going to be great to 
kind of be doing more on that front, but also see an incredible city because um, yeah, I've been all over the webcams and TripAdvisor and stuff. It looks absolutely brilliant. It sounds like this is something that's not going to come to an end soon. There's going to be more and more marathons. No, out. there's always more marathons, isn't there? I mean, there's yeah. so many parts of Europe that, you know, I've got, yeah, on my list, I've got things like Bosnia, Albania, Montenegro. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of runs and races that I still want to do. They're all kind of city street races, but yeah, I'm going to try and mix it up a little bit. It strikes me as well. There could be the the what would hopefully be the wonderful situation if they join the EU as they hope to, that you could, once this horrible war out of the way, is out of the way at some point, they'd be able to go and do one in Ukraine, which would just be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I really would. Yeah, Kiev was on the list, but yeah, obviously not not likely to happen for a while. But yeah, I mean, exactly. And and there's there's quite a few countries looking to join the EU. So yeah, I think it'll only it'll only get bigger, and you know, I'll have to go and quickly get out there and get get them done. But that's not a bad problem to have. So what what would you say to somebody who would be in your position in back in 2015, thinking about starting a challenge like this? They might not have done a lot of running in the past. How do you how do you how do you start on a journey like this? I think I think getting a good plan is is important and not to try and you know push it too too fast too soon. I think you know booking a race is an incredible motivation. It's almost apart from finishing the race, booking a race gives me the second biggest buzz, really. You know, just the excitement of kind of having something to aim for. So I think I think booking the race, give yourself a good if it's your first marathon, give yourself a good three or four months, probably more like four or five months, establish a sort of base level. And then, you know, chat to a few people, read a few books, get yourself a plan, which you think is going to work for you. And then just really commit to it. And don't miss, don't miss a run unless you're ill or injured. Like just keep on getting out there because it will over time, it will get easier. And I think once you've trained for one marathon, I mean, this is the problem I have now is I can't stop because actually think it would be too painful and probably wouldn't even happen that I'd be able to start from scratch so I have to kind of maintain this level of like oh I could probably get round and then the training will kind of determine what kind of time I get but I think with a lot of people there's this worry that if you completely stop you may never actually start again so that's that's kind of what drives me to keep on booking them and keep going because it's going to be far too painful to start from (laughs) scratch (laughs) And, and is there any other racing? Do you do half marathons as training runs or is there any sort of idea to think I'm going to push it that bit further and do an ultra or anything like that? Or do you just go yeah. to every now and again? No, I, I, um, I don't do part run. No, I guess it's not quite long enough for what I, I'm not a speed merchant or a sprinter or my 10K. There's plenty of room for improvement on my 10Ks and 5Ks. I think I really like getting out for those sort of 15 mile plus runs, you know, where you're just on your own you know either put some music on or maybe just don't and just kind of get away from the trappings of city life and and kind of all the stress and everything so yeah I've done a lot of half marathons around the southwest for again for the same charity as warm-ups if I had a 13 mile run on my plan I'd I'd look around for a half marathon and see if I could do it just to make it more interesting but yeah I don't have a goal to kind of do x amount of half marathons or 10ks or anything like that and actually running in the UK doesn't really appeal for me I guess that's because I've done a lot of Europe now and I kind of I think part part of it might come down to the fact you can't listen to music in UK races whereas they're actually not they're not too bothered abroad and I do find that makes quite a big difference for me particularly in the end of the races just just to get that injection really 
Yeah, definitely. I think a few more races now are sort of letting you run if you've got the bone conductor headphones and things like that. But yeah. obviously, you're completely correct that that was a complete um, a complete no over over here for a long time. I mean, I guess what I was getting at with that question is how much you you still enjoy running and just like doing running. It, it doesn't sound like it's become anything of a chore yet. No, 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 it hasn't. I think even when I was doing a lot of races in quick succession, I, I never sort of begrudgingly went out. I think there's times when you know you're kind of on the verge of injury where you're going out and you're like, oh, I really could do without this today. But I think as same with everyone, once you're into your first mile, like all those thoughts seem to sort of go out the window. Um, there's no such thing as a bad run really, or, or a bad marathon. Um, just to finish a marathon is, is an incredible achievement. I think you need to remind yourself of that because you can get a bit obsessed over time. And, you know, there's plenty of times I've been on the flight home thinking, well, I should have done better in this one. But the fact of the matter is you, you actually went out and did it. And that's the thing which a lot of people haven't done. So, you know, it's, it's, it's important to cut yourself some slack, I think. And it's a wonderful feeling finishing a marathon, whether it's your first or speaking to someone like Steve Edwards the other week, who's done hundreds and hundreds, you're 900 yeah, yeah. first. But um, it, it must have been extra special just to finish off when you finish that 27th in Rome. That must have been a proper runner's high. Yeah, I, I definitely broke down. And like my daughter was there, a little three-year-old, and she gave me a big hug. And yeah, I, it was just huge pent-up emotion coming out, really, because... I never really thought I could do it until I had maybe seven or eight left. I still had that doubt. And for someone as ordinary at running as me to, to do that was, um, it was just surprising that I, that I actually got through it. Plus it was the end of a journey and, you know, I've had a lot of really amazing messages and good wishes over that time. I made a lot of friends within the ME community over that time as well. So it felt like the end of an era really prolonged by COVID because I couldn't run for a year uh, abroad so yeah it was it was just yeah it was very very emotional but yeah I had I had a lot of mates who flew out to, to watch me finish so it was it was really great to have good people around me for that. Well congratulations on finishing the challenge congratulations on raising so much money for a really good cause and thank you so much for joining us today on the Running Tales podcast. My pleasure Craig yeah thanks for having me. Thanks again to Mike Harley for joining us on Running Tales I hope you enjoyed his story as much as I did. If you want to learn a little bit more about his challenge, go to Mike's EU Marathons at mikeseumarathons.eu or you can visit the Invest in ME website at investinme.org. Mike's fundraising page is still open as well and you can find that at justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Mike's EU Marathons. Just before I head off, if you haven't listened to it yet, please do check out the podcast we put out at the weekend. It was a special podcast on women's safety when running, looking at a variety of issues from victim blaming to running in the dark. I was lucky enough to be joined by three fantastic guests and it is really worth having a little listen to what they have to say on what is such an important subject. Thanks again for joining us this week and I look forward to seeing you again on next week's Running Tales podcast.